Welcome to CVAR, a COVID vaccine adverse reaction podcast where vaccine injured share resources and hope without censorship. Each brave guest provide insight into their journey. This podcast does not replace any medical or legal advice. Now, let's welcome your host author, Bon Galt and her guest. Welcome to CVAR, a COVID vaccine adverse reactions podcast. I'm your host, Vaughn Galt, and today we talk to Adrian Eskins about her adverse reactions after taking the COVID-19 mRNA vaccine and what we can learn from her testimony. So with that, Adrian, welcome to CVAR. Happy to be here. Oh, I'm so happy you're feeling well enough to do this interview today. It's going to help so many people and give so much information for people who are going through your similar situation. And I, I kid you not when I say this, that literally people in your situation are dying for this information, which they can't find anywhere. And it's all happening in real time. And everybody's cramming for information and... Um, trying to find out what's going on, how can they help themselves. So it's uncharted terrain that um, you are going to give some more insight into. So now I want to say if you're watching this on YouTube, please go down to the description below and click on any of the links there, which will take you to other platforms to see the full interview. If you are also watching on another video sharing platform on any of the sites there or listening on any of the 65 podcast sites that that this episode is on, this whole episode will continue uninterrupted. So if you guys are on YouTube, I will see you guys there. So let's let's begin. Let's begin, Adrian. So what what was your life like before you took the COVID-19 vaccine? Because Busy. It was very busy. Um, we have three boys, ages 13, 7, and 5, and they're all very involved in sports. And so we, we spend pretty much every day either at the baseball field, soccer field, football field, piano lessons, you name it, we were on the move. Um, on top of that, my husband and I both work and we work a lot of hours. So we're very career driven in that sense too. And we just, we were active. I mean, we were every weekend, if we didn't have tournaments or we didn't have something going on, we were gonna go hiking or we were gonna do something as a family. And now since this has started, I've had to start removing things from my schedule and really evaluating what's important. You know, I want to go to this fundraiser, but if I go to this fundraiser, am I going to be set back for two days and in the bed? So now I feel like I'm not doing anything. I'm just trying to get through each day. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me share some pictures of what your life was like before so people can understand um, kind of where you're coming from. So let me share my screen here. 
Okay. So Adrian, um, this is this is your your husband and your three boys. A beautiful yeah. family. Um, normal normal run of the mill American family. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. Working two working parents or working parents and then just normal activities. So um, here's some of your sons. <laughs> Pre-kindergarten, pre huh? That, yes, the littlest one, he's in kindergarten this year. Um, and then the middle one is in first grade and the oldest is in eighth grade. So, you know, that I guess adds to the frustration for me is that I want to be enjoying my baby starting kindergarten. And yet I feel like I can't be as involved at the school and I, I don't get to show up for everything because I'm using all of my time that I take off at work to go to hospitals and doctor's appointments and it's discouraging. Yeah, definitely can understand that. Yeah, so you just, you're the normal working mom, tr troubleshooting your family responsibilities, being there for your husband. And your husband has a pretty demanding job as well. What is his, what is his occupation? He is a um, police sergeant, so he's the public information officer. Um, he manages the, currently he's managing the clerical staff, which I absolutely love because that means he's not out in a cruiser anymore. He's doing more administrative stuff, but he loves his job and he, oh, I got, I've got It's okay. He, the dog wants to be part of the interview absolutely. and get the, yeah, can kind of give you a little bit of support, so that's fine. I keep telling her that, that she's my support dog these days. Um, I'm thankful for that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, from the time I met him, it's always been his job came first because I recognized that he had a job that he couldn't just not go in if that call came out. So if something happens, he's got, he's got to respond. And, and now in the past, it was always where I was very accommodating because I just understood that. And now I've really had to lean on him to say, I can't physically do everything that I was doing prior. And I really need you to step up and, and help me. And then on top of that, keep up with your demanding job as well. Right, so, right. I was exhausted from it. And I know he feels a lot of guilt um, because he was the one that really encouraged me to get the vaccine. And he fortunately didn't have any issues and, and I did. So now I know he feels terrible about it, but nothing well, he could have done. Right, right. And and that's that's normal that's normal too, because you'll have um, one person not have a reverse reaction and then you'll have another person have a reverse reaction. Did you have any kind of high risk factors? I mean, what was your health like before this? My health was good. Now, what's interesting is when I was born, I was born with a pre-existing heart condition. I have a VSD, which is considered, uh, or which is called ventricular septal defect. And I was born with that. I've always, it's a hole in your heart, but it was always small enough that it never caused me any issues. And my cardiologist never felt as a child that we needed to perform any surgeries on it. So I've went 36 years and never had one heart issue, even though I had this pre-existing heart condition. But because of that heart condition, 
I'm always very honest with any doctors, pharmacists, when I'm looking to take a medication and tell them, you know, I, I was diagnosed with this at birth. If you think there's any risk, please let me know now. So the day that I got the vaccine, um, I had gotten the first dose, totally fine. And there was just something in me that didn't feel right about the second one. I, I can't describe it. It was just like, I felt uneasy about it. Not that I had really heard of anybody having reactions. I just felt uneasy about it. So the day I actually had skipped my first appointment because I felt uneasy. And then I went, so I went like a week after or two weeks after, um, I'm trying to look at my dates on my card here. Right. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. So prior to you going and deciding to get the, the vaccine, um, did you get any information that this that high risk people or people who have heart conditions or any kind of high risk factors should not be getting this? Because I know in the Moderma packaging and information and website for the Moderma um, COVID vaccine, it says if you have high risk, meaning right. meaning any kind of high risk, this is not supposed to be for you. You are not supposed. These are the people who are not supposed to get it, and it lists out. Uh Um, anybody who have very high risk, such as somebody with a heart condition. Um, Did you get the Moderma one or did you get something else? And and that is interesting because when I went, I went to Kroger's and when I met with the pharmacist to get the vaccine, I told him, I have this pre-existing heart condition. Do you think that I'm still a good candidate to get this? And he reassured me there would be no issues. I mean, even sort of laughed it off. Like, oh, you'll be fine. You, you'll be down this weekend. You'll be fine. And I got it and I wasn't. So well, that. Yeah. So let me ask you a little bit more about that, because this is really critical for people who are making, who are making, who made that decision or are just deciding to make the decision and making the jump over. So, you know, you had this heart condition, which has never caused you any issues in your life. For the most part, you're really healthy. Um, and it was so far back in your in your 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 medical history when you were a child, and the Moderma website now. And did the did the pharmacist open the packaging and go over all of the information on the packaging? Did you see the package at all, or any of the advisory? I never, never... saw the package. Um, they did tell me which one I would be receiving. At that point, I hadn't heard anything on my own about any patients being diagnosed with myocarditis, myopericarditis, pericarditis, anything like that. Um, but we, the only thing that I ever saw was the actual little tube that it came in, but I never saw packaging and there was nothing that was mentioned to me that maybe just be aware that this, this could happen, be on the lookout. If right. These present themselves. Right. So you, so you never really, there's a discussion about informed consent, like informed consent when it comes to being a trial participant on any vaccine, they go through typically the ringer where they go through these are the list of people who should not get this. Um, if you fall into these categories, or you think you might fall into these categories, these are the people who shouldn't get it. Um, but you didn't get any of the information. So do you feel that you actually got informed consent about the potentiality of having adverse reaction? Because I I remember him even saying to me that the regardless of the pre-existing heart condition, the benefits 
would outweigh any risk. But he meant more so of like being sick, like just being, um, having a cold after, or, you know, like the flu symptoms that people were getting. Not anything that was like, oh, you could have inflammation of your heart muscle. <laughs> right, right. Well, did you, did you, did you get any information about um, kind of some warning signs that maybe you're not a good candidate for this vaccine from the media that you consume? I mean, where did you get your information about? Did you do any research on it? I did not. Um, unfortunately, I, I sort of had this mindset before I went to get mine that it would be like getting the flu shot. Mm. And my arm might be sore for a couple of days, but everything that I was hearing online, and I, I really try, I really try to not watch a lot of news just because mm. I feel like it can be so negative and, and bias on either way. Um, so I just sort of avoid it. But what I would hear was just that, again, benefits were going to outweigh risk. You might have a sore arm. You might have a fever for a couple of days. That was it. I never heard anything about severe reactions that you could have or injuries, um, nothing about your heart at all until after. And then I started to get the symptoms and then I started researching. But Even then everything I would I would find it would be like, oh, this has been fact checked or this is misinformation or this is not correct. It was so frustrating because you're trying to find an answer to what's going on. And you do what everybody else does and you take it to Google and there's mm-hmm. nothing there except for information about why you should get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Google, um, Google is, has been, has been challenged about um, not about suppressing information um, on Google. But if you go to DuckDuckGo or any of the other search engines, you're going to get a lot of different information. Did you even look at um, the trial data? Because in the trial data for the Pfizer vaccine, um, which you can get off of um, the Pfizer website and the FDA, it actually says um, that some of the adverse reactions is myocarditis, pericarditis, and a list of other things that some of the trial participants um, received. I did it until after mm. he started. And then that's when I started looking it up myself and I saw that. And what actually triggered me to even think, oh, maybe this is inflammation is that I saw an article pop up on um, like my, my newsfeed, my webpage. And it said something about young males being diagnosed with myocarditis or pericarditis following the vaccine but that it was super rare and it was only affecting young males. Right. Right. Like I start reading that and I see the the side effects that these people are having. And I'm like, wait, that's what's happening to me. So the first ER visit, I brought that up and said, is it possible that this could be inflammation? And they said that I didn't fit into that category and that it was very unlikely because I was a female and because of my age. Right. We'll talk about your hospital visits because I really want to understand. And I think a lot of people want to understand so that they don't just start, um, you know, just disregarding your, your information, you know, the risk versus benefits is something that is highly discussed in, um, especially in the major news stations and um, also local and national news and Google, for for example, but risk versus benefits. So the ri- the benefits they they say 
according to you in the information you consume was that it was going to prevent a severe case of COVID-19. Now, um, did you learn of any other information that if you didn't get the, the shot that there are um, cheap, affordable ways to treat COVID-19 early home, home treatment? Did you learn anything about that? The only thing that I had heard was I, I worked with a guy who every day, as soon as they started talking about the vaccine, he would say, you don't need the vaccine. You need zinc, you need vitamin D, and you need to wash your hands and social distance and you'll be fine. And, and people would even tease him a little bit because he was always harping on, you just need to be taking your vitamin D and your zinc. And But other than that, I had never really heard or looked into any alternatives. Right, right. So, so from, from your experience, um, you, because there is, if you do enough research, there is early home treatments. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are, have discussed um, zinc and hydrocortisone. Um, a lot of doctors have um, discussed ivermectin for humans not the propaganda that it's the horse dewormer, but the, the version for humans um, that, that you can get um, through different pharmacists online or in person. But th there's a lot of different home treatments that people can do that a lot of doctors um, were discussing, but a lot of the information was suppressed or not made public to the mainstream um, media so that people can take a look at the both options and decide which option is best for them. So you never you never heard of any of the optional home treatments for, for COVID-19? No. no. You never saw any of that? Okay. No. And to be honest, um, the reason I wasn't so much worried about myself getting it, I really mm -hmm. wasn't. Even with being born with a heart condition, I wasn't that worried about it. My determining factor was that I have a son who was born um, with uh, tracheoesophageal fistula, esophageal atresia. So his esophagus was not connected. And because of that, he has asthma, he has tracheomalacia, he has these other issues. So for me, I kept thinking, if I get this vaccine, then hopefully he won't get the virus. But if I don't get this vaccine and I get the virus and I'm okay, but he's not, then I'll never forgive myself. So mm. I wasn't really like researching alternatives because I felt like um, I wasn't that worried about getting it necessarily for myself. I just didn't want him to get it. <laughs> right, right. And so, so the fear of catching COVID and having a severe case was that and this fear that it that it is, I mean, yes, it, it is a more severe version of, of the the flu symptoms, but um, this 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 overwhelming fear that is so much more extreme that that home um, at home early at home treatment is not going to be able to overcome it. Only the vaccine can overcome it. Where did that come from? Uh, it, well, I, I don't know if it really came from anywhere because. My, because I didn't want, I didn't know about other alternatives. Mm -hmm. um, but two, because I was just looking at it is, it, it'll be like my flu shot that I get every year. Right. It's, it'll just be like a flu shot. And if I get it, then it'll be minor and I can go on with my life and not have to think about it. Um, I just didn't expect this all to happen. Right, right. So that 
So what you're saying is very, very common. A lot of people have somebody who is compromised in some kind of way um, in their family network. And because of that, they chose to get it as a protective element. And that is very, very normal. But um, not getting the full informed consent about potential adverse reactions that you may be taking your chances on and not getting all the information that there are other treatment options if you were to get COVID-19 aside from the vaccine that have successfully worked. Those um, and not knowing that information because it's not made prevalent and available and not reported on is a very common thing that a lot of people um, in your situation experience. So, um, so a lot of people can relate to your exact background. So that was where your pressure, your, your, it was your home pressure for you to get it. Yes. That's where it came from. Yes. Okay. So, um, so let me ask you this. So, Take us to, um, you got the first shot and then you got, and, and, and you had bad feeling. Mm -hmm. You didn't listen to it. Why didn't you listen I, to your gut? So, I don't know. I question that almost daily at this point. Um, so I had got my first dose on April 8th, 2021. And, and then you'll see that I got my second dose on May 28th, 2021, which is, I think that was like two weeks after that recommended time frame. Right. So I get the first dose and I'm fine. I have no side effects, nothing. I'm totally fine. And then over the next few weeks, I just was like uneasy, but I couldn't really explain. It wasn't that I saw anything. It wasn't that I heard anything. I just wasn't feeling good about it. Mm -hmm. So I get my, my appointment that I had scheduled, just didn't show up to it. Um, and then they kept calling me and they were calling like every two days to say, if you want to still get it, you can still come get it. And I even asked the girl, well, I thought that you had to have it within this time frame." And she, right. her response was, well, now they're recommending that you just get the shot in your arm the soonest that you can. Okay. So I really got this impression that it was just more about their count, that they wanted to show their counts that we did this. We got these people to get these shots and, and get both shots. Cause up at, up to that point, they kept saying, you know, people are only getting one shot. You've got to get mm -hmm. the second dose of it. So I sort of thought after the first one, like I'm pretty well protected, but then there was that little thing in my head that kept saying, if you don't get the second and you get it, and you give it to Ethan, you won't forgive yourself for it. So I just figured we had an extended weekend. Um, it was Memorial Day. I was going to have an extra day off. So I'll just go ahead and get it. And then if I'm sick all weekend, then that'll be fine. Mm -hmm. um, and I was. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so the first one, you were fine. And then you decided to go back and take a second one. What happened after you took the second shot? So you got after, the shot, you didn't feel anything after the second shot initially or? Oh, I was, I would say um, I came home and within a couple hours, I, I started showing symptoms or side effects. My husband didn't, he had a little bit of a headache after his. So I, I figured oh, I'll probably be down, but he wasn't that bad off. So it'll be okay. What um, were the symptoms I, that you were experiencing after the second shot within I, hours? Fever went up to 103. I could not break it. I could not get it to come down. 
I honestly kept telling my husband that I was in so much pain. I felt like I was dying. I'm mm. like, I feel like I'm dying right now. And he's like, just lay down. You'll be fine. Well, this was my first sign that something was wrong. And you, I don't know if you can still see it, but um, I still have them a little bit. I noticed the very next day that right from where I got the injection and spreading through my chest, my veins became dilated. Like you could see my veins all through my arms, my chest. It, it was the, the freakiest thing that I've seen. I mean, it really creeped me out. So was it, was it like blue that just kind of said, you could blue. just kind of see the whole thing? You just see oh, yes. and, all and blue. Okay. Through my, my breasts were just all blue veins everywhere. And um, it, it worried me enough that come Tuesday of that week, it was getting worse. And I went to urgent care and I asked them, have you seen anything like this? This happened after the vaccine. Have you seen anything like this? And the doctor said that she had not, but that it was so new that we didn't know how it would affect each person's ecosystem. And she felt confident that it would resolve on its own. And it has resolved, but I still noticed that I have some blue veins that are more prominent that were not there prior to getting it. Um, yeah. So that was my first sign that something was wrong. And then you fast forward from the date I got the shot to June 11th. So 13 oh, that, days. Yeah, a couple of weeks later. Uh huh. Yeah. And I'm, I go to work and I was feeling real like sweaty that day and just not feeling very well. And I get home and I start getting heart flutters. And I've never had heart palpitations before. But I knew instantly, like it, it was like something was, my heart was just like flickering and it kept doing it, but it wasn't to where it would stop. And then it would come back like an hour later, they just kept coming and I was timing them. And so it was like 15 seconds apart. They just kept coming. So that went on all night long. And then I woke up the next day and I had terrible chest pain. And what does the chest pains feel like? What do they feel like? Do they feel like somebody's stepping on you? What do they feel like? It so people know, like, um, it feels like somebody has taken saran wrap and they have wrapped my heart up and mm. they're squeezing it. And so I thought I'm having a heart attack. That's what this is. It's, it's a heart attack. So I'm looking at my Fitbit and I'm watching my heart rate and it's dropping down into the thirties and it's shooting up over 160 and I'm doing nothing but just sitting there. So my mm. heart rate should not be doing that. So that happened Friday. It started Friday. Sunday was my first visit to the ER. And I was in the ER all day long. And they told me that my blood work was normal and everything was fine. And they wished they had answers for me, but they didn't. And they sent me home. And did they do, did they do a D-dimer? They did. Um, they did. They did one. So, so yeah. what did the and for people who aren't aware, a D-dimer is a type of diagnosis that um, checks for deep blood clots in your um, body that typically a normal normal test on a surface level won't find out. So did, what, did it, what, it didn't say anything about that, a D-dimer no, test? They said that it was normal. Um, they did the one that's popperin or the one that checks to see like if you're having a heart attack. Um, I was good on that end. So from there perspective everything was normal and there was nothing that they could do for me um they said that my potassium was a little elevated 
So they prescribed me a potassium pill and mm-hmm. sent me on my way. And then a couple of days goes by and I, I'm getting worse. The, the chest pain is, it's worse. And I'm noticing that my heart rate is still all over the place. So I go back to the ER. And at that point, I was told that um, even though they were watching my heart rate, they, they were actually watching it go up and down. And they even said, um, have you been diagnosed with AFib? Because you're in AFib right now. Is this usual for you? And I'm like, no, this isn't usual that my heart would go up this high and then drop instantly. That's not normal for me. Right. So um, they said that with my heart rate being low, that obviously, you know, I'm a very active person. And so that it's normal to have a low heart rate and people that participate in marathons, they typically tend to have a low heart rate. And I'm, I'm like, okay, but I'm not participating in marathons. And how do you explain that my heart rate is shooting up and then dropping and I'm having these terrible pains, right? Heart palpitations at that point, they're still, they're still continuing. They're not letting up every day. I'm just starting to kind of get used to it because they just continue. So that was on a Tuesday, I believe. Can't remember what day that was. And then by Friday, I felt like I was going to pass out. I was at work and everything was blurry. I was lightheaded. And I'm like, I'm going back. I am going back and I'm going to tell them, do not discharge me until you have an answer for what's going on. So at that point, they treated me like I was just a nuisance. And when I came in, they took me into the room. They didn't hook me up to do like an EKG or any of the things that they had done my first couple visits. Um, The doctor came right in and said that they, that there was nothing wrong, that he had checked with the cardiologist there and that she was not concerned and that I was fine. And basically they just wanted to discharge me. And I, I said, no, that there's, it's not fine it hurts very bad. And if it's not a heart attack, then great, but there's something else going on. And I was started bringing up, I got the vaccine and I feel like this could be related to the vaccine. And I was just totally dismissed by that. Like, it's not likely, it's very rare that you would have a side effect. You're a 36 year old female, you don't fit into that. Um, But they called over to the cardiologist to see what does she wanna do? And at that point, she said she has a pre-existing heart condition, heart condition, and she said, "I feel that at this point, we need to refer her over to OSU to the congenital heart defect department." And so I was like, "That's great. I'm very relieved by that because if they do that, then my insurance will treat OSU as a tier one provider." So I needed that referral. That referral was important to me. And I had mentioned many times when I had went the first few visits, could we do an MRI? Could we do an echo? Could we do a CT scan? They did not do any of those tests at all. So when I said, when, if you're going to refer me over to OSU, can you also put an order in for me to have an MRI? That way, by the time that I get to OSU, they already have something that they can review and they know what's going on. They would not do that. They said that it was not necessary nothing indicated that an MRI was needed and they would not, they just would not do it. So let me ask you something. Let me ask you something about that because I have heard this um, because you had a pre-existing 
heart condition when you were a child, which has never caused any health issues to you up until you got the, the vaccine and then it cropped up um, and has accelerated these symptoms. Mm-hmm. Coincidentally, um, did any of these doctors, because it, it seems like you're just getting a lot of the, you're just getting dismissed, dismissed. Nobody ever wants to link it to the vaccine. Although the only defining factor that changed in your medical history was you got the shot Mm-hmm. And then this happened coincidentally afterwards. So the the, the debate is cause that you know cause coincidence does link to causality. Like mm-hmm. these coincidences do link it to the cause. And that's the big that's the that's the big debate. And because they don't know so much about um, these adverse reactions in a massive scale, a lot of these doctors just don't ever want to link it to the mRNA shot. And one of the sentiments that I'm hearing is that maybe they're thinking, oh, it would have happened anyways. Like, what do you say to doctors who tell you, well, it would have happened anyways. It has no relation. I mean, how do you? And I have, I've experienced that where they say, well, it could have been worse. It could have been worse if you got the COVID-19. This still could have happened. There's still people that are being diagnosed with myopericarditis following having the virus. But my response to that is, it could have happened. But had it happened under the pretense of having the virus, they would have taken me more seriously. And they would have done everything to treat me because then I would have been this victim of all this poor, healthy, young female got this virus. And now look at what she's going through. But because this happened to me, because of the vaccine, they don't want anything to do with it. It's just, uh-uh, get it out of here. Okay, so so um, so you so you're kind of like the unicorn that they don't want to acknowledge in the room. So um, why is why is because it's not just one or two doctors or nurses that you came across that treated you like this. Why? What is your perception of why this is the sentiment in the hospitals? You know, because I, I I'm, I'm really I'm really baffled at why all of a sudden um, you're not recognized as a legitimate patient. I, I, I you know, I, I don't understand that. And that's why I, I keep trying to figure that out. I mean, what sort of like kickbacks or incentives are you getting? Or is it just that you guys are so invested in this that you just really have to push it at all costs? But we've known since the beginning of time that any vaccine carries risk. Every single vaccine carries some risk. So to say that there is no risk is just, it's ridiculous to me to say that it, it's going to be perfectly safe for every person. I right. never treated anything like that before. So I don't, I don't understand it. And even now that I did, I was fortunate enough to find a cardiologist that heard me and took me seriously. I still get resistance, like my most recent um, ER trip, the, the nurses um, and the doctor kept saying, you really think that this is because of the vaccine? Well, all I can tell you is that I was perfectly fine. And then I got the vaccine and I was not fine. So if you've got some other explanation, I'd love to hear it because that's the only thing that changed in my world. So... Adrian, let me ask you this. So when you're looking at your, because you're obviously keeping records of 
all of your medical visits mm -hmm. and all the pictures and everything just to document um, this so so nothing gets missed, yeah. um, which is really, really smart to do because, you know, at some point in the, in the near future, that may come into um, into play if you if you seek legal consult at some point. But um, right now, you're just trying to get over the storm, the storm of these symptoms. And Absolutely. and the thing that I I'm interested in is like, like did they ever do any um, blood work? Did they take blood work and take a look at the in a in a microscope microscope to see if there's anything different? Did they take any tissue samples? Did they take any samples of your body to, to look under a microscope and see if there's anything different that um, that is unusual? They would only do just the the standard blood draws. Um, whether or not, you know, how they evaluated that, I don't know, but it was just the same thing. Every time they would test my blood, they would say everything was fine and they would discharge me. So you just really started to question, is this really happening to me? Or I even started thinking, am I just having panic attacks? Is that what's happening to me? Because they're telling me that I'm totally fine, but I'm not fine. So that was it. That was all I was getting was just blood work. Well, let me ask you this. Are, as a patient, are you able to see um, pictures of your blood that, that they took? Oh, I never did. Um, I didn't know that that would be an option to even Is ask. that an option to even ask? I mean, it is your blood. You would think that you would be able to. I know that certainly when I did finally have the MRI um, and the CT scan over at OSU, I was able to see the pictures. Of right. My Oh, everything, but right. I never did see anything as far as my blood, with just the exception of the results that came through of what your level. Right. Mm -hmm. So my question is because of all of all your other um, exams that it did, you were able to see a picture of the scans and etc. And the doing your blood work, is it something that you can ask to see? Like I want to see what my blood looks like in the microscope. You're taking all this blood work. I want to see it. I mean, is this something that a patient can ask for? I, you know, I will have to try that. Um, and the not, the one nice thing that I've been doing is every single conversation that I have with the, the first hospital, they have a, my chart and mm -hmm, I'm mm -hmm. in there to follow up, to say, per our conversation, this is what we discussed. This is what you told me. Because right. I wanted to prove like they were putting notes in there that I had called in on this date um, and that they called and resolved my issue. I never got those phone calls. So I would put a note in there to say, nobody has called me back to this date. And I would like to see that be corrected. Um, but I have, I just document everything. And like you had mentioned with the documentation of things, um, when I did get to OSU, I had a paper that I brought with me that every single day I was writing, I would tally how many times I was getting heart palpitations. I just tallied it. And I wrote down, what was my heart rate? What was my blood pressure? How was I feeling? And when I went in there, I showed it to the cardiologist to say, this started on this day when I got this vaccine. This is every single day since then. And you could just see that it was just getting progressively worse. Yeah. So Adrian, you know, the, the interesting thing that I, I noticed what, in what you just said is that um, 
in your my chart paperwork mm-hmm. it, the hospital or the um, staff was saying that they were calling you and they're doing all this outpatient care and check-in and that's not the case so the so there, that's that that is deceiving it's deceiving and not only did they do that but they also when they sent that referral over to osu I I had to fight with them to get that referral. I had to keep calling in and saying, could you please send that referral? Dr. Nay, you already said she was gonna send the referral, please send the referral. And by the time that they did finally send it, I called OSU and they said, well, we got the referral, but they didn't mark it as urgent. So we're scheduling four plus months out. And unless you get this urgent, you're not gonna be seen anytime soon. So then I started calling back, sending messages in my chart, requesting that they resend it as urgent. They would not resend it. So why not? Why not? They said that they had already done what they felt was necessary to do. That was what they wanted, Dr. Nayu wanted to do. And they were not going to send that MRI request, which I was already aware because they'd made that very clear that they would not do that, but that they would not resend the referral as urgent. So I called my husband crying. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I've never been in a situation where I've had to advocate so hard for my health Mm -hmm. and I cannot get medical treatment. Like it was the first time in my entire life where I was telling them I need medical help and just totally shut me out. They were like, this is all we'll do for you. So my husband, he um, called over to a friend and said, this is what my wife is going through. What, what do you think we should do in this situation? How do we get this referral marked as urgent? And it was probably 30 minutes later that in my, my chart, I got a message that it was recent as urgent. And, so, and that was when I finally got in. I right, right. <laughs> okay. That is very interesting that you were denied medical service. And that you had to really advocate um, and go the extra extra means just to get medical service. Um, because you you have insurance, your husband has insurance, you basically have two insurance that back each other up. They're gonna get paid no matter what. So what yeah. so it doesn't matter necessarily from a patient's perspective what you do, because it's all gonna get paid anyways. So why the pushback to not to not provide medical service. Now, I have heard this, that because not everybody is as um, well, self-advocate and know so much to self-advocate themselves as you have, right. or have um, the resources um, to, to get somebody else on the hospital line to basically uh, remind the hospital that you're not supposed to deny medical care. Um, right. I've, I have heard people call lawyers to have lawyers call the hospital to push for medical care and not be denied certain um, yeah. treatments. I mean, is that is that something that a lot of is that something that you experience on a regular basis? Um, and well, not until this had started, but after this has started, I felt like I've been given so much pushback, and I got the impression that from the moment I started mentioning the vaccine, that they wanted to get rid of me as quickly as possible and hope that if they just push it out, 
that my symptoms would just subside and I would go away and I would never have to be included in that data that shows people are having a reaction to this. And I felt like it was very intentional with the whole um, referral because they mm. were hoping that if we don't send the referral over as urgent and she has to wait four to six months, if there is any sort of heart inflammation, hopefully it'll just subside and then she'll go away and nobody's any the wiser. But, but your, your, your medical up until this point have been showing not a decrease in symptoms, but an increase in symptoms. So if it's been increasing over the months, the weeks and months after your second shot, what do you think is going to happen in six months? Well, and that's what I, I worried about because I thought at what point does there, do I go into cardiac arrest? Does something happen and I just die waiting for an answer? And I really felt that way. And it was causing panic attacks and anxiety because every night I would go to bed and I was scared to go to bed because I kept wondering, am I going to wake up in the morning? And, and am I never going to really know what, what was wrong with me? Right. And your family's never really going to know what was wrong with you. Right. Besides whatever medical records you've gotten so far. And it sounds like every single appointment, you have to challenge and push and bully yourself to get medical treatment. Yes. So that is an accurate statement. Um, you know, okay. So you, you got referred. What happens after you got to refer to the Ohio University Hospital? So when I got over there, um, they, they did a CT scan first. And the CT scan did not show any inflammation, but they said that's normal, that it typically doesn't. But I found it very interesting, just the way that I was treated once I got there. Where Explain that, the, explain that. The, the nurse that I met with, the very first nurse, I told her, I said, I know this is an unpopular statement and I know it sounds crazy, but I was fine. And then I got the vaccine and I'm not fine. And she said, I don't think that's crazy at all. And she said, we, we've seen a lot of people that are having the same issue as you. And that was when I finally felt like I'm somewhere that they're gonna hear me. And then when I was taken into the room to meet with um, my new cardiologist, he, the nurse that took me in there, she made the statement that he was heading a COVID vaccine research team for their cardiology unit there. So that I was with the best person that I could possibly be with. And I felt very good about that because I felt like he would want to actually know, is this vaccine related or is it not? Okay. So there's some, there's some hope that um, you guys will get down to the, so mm -hmm. what is on your chest? So this is a um, EK, a portable EKG. Did you get that from the hospital? After the... From the hospital. So this, so I'll kind of back up a little bit to explain yeah. like when I finally got there to OSU. And I told, I met with my cardiologist and I told him everything that was going on. Mm -hmm. And he said, yes, I think we need to do the MRI. It does sound like it could be inflammation. Let's get the MRI ordered. So we did the MRI on... July 13th and it was an hour long and then I met with my cardiologist right after and they confirmed that it was myopericarditis and I just 
could have cried because I, I knew it. Like, you know, your body and you know, when something's not right. And so this was the first time that I could actually see the pictures. They were showing me the pictures and I saw the inflammation for myself. And you're like, finally, I have an answer. That was from an MRI? That was from the MRI. And you you tried to get the MRI. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't wouldn't refer it because they said it wasn't necessary. And that I wasn't indicating any sort of signs of inflammation. And that I didn't meet the criteria for somebody that would have inflammation. So, so the that. hospitals before the hospitals before you got the MRI at the university hospital, you went to how many visits and you asked, I want an MRI, I want my MRI. And they, they said, no. I went to four ER visits, one urgent care. And, um, and I called the cardiologist doctor's office there. Dozens, dozens right. of times. So like five hospital visits, many phone calls, had they just taken the MRI in the first one, they would have already found this and yes. then sped through the next steps of how to help you. We could have started treating me. And that's what's frustrating is because my inflammation got worse because we weren't treating me. And had you just treated me, then maybe I would be done dealing with this now. But it went on. It went on from- It got worse. Yeah, it went on from June to July 13th. And then at that point, I was prescribed um, that day on July 13th. They put me on um, a high dose of ibuprofen as well as colchicine, which is typically prescribed for like gout, but it also works for inflammation. Mm. And that was just like the greatest day ever for me, because you're like, there's something we can do about this and everything is going to be perfect. So, um, is it working? Was it working? It worked. Um, I would say the first couple of weeks it was working great. I was feeling like myself again. And then all of a sudden the chest pains came back and the heart palpitations. How long, how long, Um, how long was the time? This has been now, um, two weeks. Now that I've been. So only two weeks of relief from that. Yeah. From that prescription. And -hmm. then it came back. Mm -hmm. Now what happened? What happens next? From that point on, um, I started calling again, trying to get in. Uh, We have another MRI scheduled for October. So I just kept saying like, you just got to make it to October. Everything will be fine. They couldn't get me in over at OSU, but they were like, if you, if you really need to be seen, like if you have to go to the ER, come to the ER over here because we're the ones treating you. Don't go to your local ER. So I tried to do that when it started to get worse and I was noticing my heart rate was dipping into the 30s and 40s. Um, I tried to go over to OSU, but their ER was so packed. They had two sides of it and there was just people lined up everywhere and it was just getting be hours and hours before you even got back were were you the only were you the only vaccine adverse reaction um patient in the er there or did you Um, see any others not that i was aware of if if that's what they were there for um but you know it it was just interesting to see to see that many people and you're thinking like now we're so worried about this delta variant but yet it didn't seem like they were taking the same precautions as they did when we first started this, where you would come in and people are in shields and they're double masked and, and now they just have one mask on and they've got no shield. And I'm thinking, 
if this is supposed to be so much worse, then why are you guys not wearing two shields and five masks and Oh wait, wait, wait. So the ER, the was that just a university hospital ER? Was yeah. it the other ER too? It was uh well both of them. Yeah. Both of them. Okay. I, since I knew I wasn't gonna be able to be seen that day, I left and I called the, the cardiologist and I said, could we try something else? Could we maybe just try to add something else, see if that works? At that point, they prescribed me a steroid. And, and they said, you should start feeling better and give it about three days, you should feel better. So three days goes by, I feel worse. I mean, I feel worse than I felt when this started. So I tried to call back over. Um, I couldn't get in to be seen. So I went to the local ER and spent another day there <laughs> um, just to be told that there was nothing wrong with me. And but at that point, they had called my cardiologist over at university. Mm -hmm. They said, we'll, we'll see her tomorrow. Don't change anything. We'll see her tomorrow. So I went over the very next day. And that was yesterday. And that was when I got this because my heart rate has been very low. And so this allows me, I have a phone that comes with it. And when I start to get lightheaded or uh, I get palpitations or chest pains or whatever, I hit the button that's on here. And then on the phone, it pops up and it asks me, what's your symptoms? And then I just push the buttons. And then from that point, then it, it sends it over to my doctor so that they can see it and sort of big brother. And then we will assess this here in two weeks and decide, do we now add a beta blocker? So it's still very ongoing, you know, it's that's, day by day. That's very interesting. So you got, you know, I, one thing that comes to mind for me, one that comes to mind for me is if the news is saying that all these variants are so you know, so deadly, et cetera. But then you're saying you go into the ERs and not one, but two ERs and they're not taking it that seriously. They're just dealing with the patients. They're not really doing the yeah. PPE up the wazoo or anything else like that. So there's a contradiction of what is being reported to um, people on the major news stations and what's actually happening in the ERs. Mm -hmm. that, so, that was my um, impression of it because I remember at the local ER, I even thought to myself, the doctor was very close to me and it like very kind of in my personal space and to the point where I sort of felt awkward because he was mm -hmm. so close to me. And I thought if this Delta variant is so bad, you would think you'd be on the opposite side of the room or you'd be six feet apart. Um, so that just sort of just triggered that thought that this is so bizarre. And I even asked at one point, have you guys, because I know that our local ER had come out and the advocate and said that they would be mandating the vaccine for all of their employees. So I said, is, are you guys just this packed because is this an increase in COVID cases or is it because you're short staffed because people chose not to get the vaccine? And they said that an email went out saying that they would just like strongly recommend the vaccine. So it doesn't sound like it's even went into effect yet. So it's not like they're short staffed. So you just have to wonder why is it so packed? What's, what's really going on? 
Is there something? Is there something that the doctors and nurses at the ER knows um, that they're not sharing of us? Because it, it doesn't make sense that they want they're not they're not all PPP P, what is it, PPE all up the wazoo and and doing all these things that they tell everybody else to do. Is they're in the hot spot supposedly? This is where uh, it makes you it makes you kind of wonder um, about that. So so you got the vaccine, which is the technology to create the um, the immunity or antibodies that you need to fight off a severe case of COVID, but now you've become the product of the technology. Yes. Yeah. Like literally it's on your yep. chest. Yep. <laughs> how do you feel about, how do you feel about, about that going back to the original statement of risk versus benefit now that you have gone through this, what do you, what is your thoughts about that now? You know, it, it makes me angry because I just feel like the majority of people may still choose if they know that what could happen, they may still choose to get the vaccine and, and they should, if you feel like you should get the vaccine, get the vaccine. But where I'm frustrated in it is that if you are hesitant about it, you can't really get any sort of um, information and, and you're just sort of treated like, how dare you question this, this magic vaccine, you need to get the, the vaccine, you need to do your part, no matter what the risk is, you need to do your part for everybody else. Well, I can tell you, I have children, and I have a husband, and I want to be here to see my kids grow up and to grow old with my husband. And that's not fair to say, like, even if you die, the benefit is still that other people might not die because you got the vaccine. I, I, it's just, yeah. So we'll make that informed decision on their own because they may still say, I want to get the vaccine, but they need to know that there are potential side effects and it may not happen to you. And if it doesn't, that's great. But if it does, you're not alone. And there are treatments available for you. There are people that will help you through it. But at this stage, you get the impression that if you are injured from it, they won't help you. They don't care. It's just go away and, and keep it to yourself. And don't post it on social media because- What happens when you post it on social media or- Then, then you're accused of, of spreading misinformation and- But it's your story. Yeah. How is that information? this really happened to me. And, and I have been very, um, for me, I haven't really posted my story on social media. The people who are close to me, they know what I'm going through. They know that I'm struggling through it. Um, but I wasn't super vocal about it. Now, there was one a, a story that somebody told me about that was floating around on Facebook. And the girl was going through a similar situation as me. And people were like fact checking this and saying that it was a lie, that this was fake. And so I felt compelled to, to say, it's not, I'm going through the same thing. And I was surprised, like from people that know me, there was an overwhelming sense of support and I'm sorry, you're going through this. But I did receive one person who private messaged me that I don't even know to basically say that I was a liar, that this was all a lie. And so can, I, can you have your vaccination card? Can you yeah. show it? Yeah. Okay. So, just so people know that you're not lying. Yeah. <laughs> and so I sent back um, my actual screenshots 
of where I was diagnosed with myopericarditis. And it is right on there that it was due to the vaccine. And I'm like, I do not care. I will let you see all my medical records because I have nothing to hide. This is not rare. This is real for me. This is really happening to me. Right, right. Well, let me ask you this, um, Adrian. So there's a, there's a term called cognitive dissonance mm -hmm. and it applies in all areas of of life not just political medical everything else so i think this is medical cognitive dissonance but um there are a lot of people who got the vaccine and stories like yours scare the hell out of them and they refuse to acknowledge it because it breaks yeah. the illusion that it is safe what what do you say to people who will refuse to see the evidence of that this is not safe for everybody. It just so it baffles me. It really does. And and I well, I thought about this recently because after this happened to me, I joined um, support pages that were on like Facebook for people who have myocarditis, pericarditis. And I was really surprised to see how many people say, um, I'm going through this. I was diagnosed with this, but I would still if I could go back, I would still get the COVID-19 vaccine. Why is that? Because, because here, here, here's the contradiction in that statement. If you do not want to deter people from getting the shot, you don't tell your story. Because by telling your story, you just advise them that it's not completely safe for everyone. So right. why, would, why would somebody who... I, I, I categorize that as self victim shaming why would they self victim shame themselves i you know and i don't know and then a lot of times what you'll see is happening is they're coming to social media and they're asking strangers for medical advice because they're like this has been going on to me um is this happening to anybody else because i get a sense that they're not able to get information from their doctors because it's due to the vaccine but mm -hmm. yet you're also saying on the other hand I would still get it again. But why would you want to get it again, knowing that if you're one of those unlucky people that has a reaction, you won't be treated like you would had you just been somebody that got it from getting the virus. I, I don't get that, but uh, that's just me. I feel like if I could go back and I would know what was going to happen, I would have just, I would have just took my chances with getting the virus, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, yeah. So- I can still get the virus. I can still get yeah. it. And now I'm terrified. What happens if I get it now when I've got all this inflammation going on in my heart? Will I be able to survive it? Because, I, because I've already got this heart stuff. Is it just going to be what kicks me over the edge? You know? Well, I will say um, I, I, read, I read a lot of Israel news, mm -hmm. news in Israel on uncensored sites, not on Google. Um, because I have a lot of friends that live in Israel and it is one of the most vaccinated countries in the world. They, and they only took the Pfizer. That's the contract that their government has with that drug company. But, um, a majority of the hospitalizations are the vaccinated according to many Israel, um, newspapers and sources. 
but they have been able to find um, that early treatment, even on the vaccinated, will help reduce um, severity and cases, even on the vaccinated. So there is a positive, some hope there that even if you are vaccinated and you do get COVID-19, early treatment will work on you as well as people who are unvaccinated. And, 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 that, and that's, being, that's reports coming out of Israel. The other thing that's interesting also with reports coming out of Israel, and you guys can all look this up on DuckDuckGo, it's all there. There's many Israel news sites that cover this. But now they're, um, they're, incent they're encouraging their citizens to go and get a third booster um, because two boosters now makes you unvaccinated. Oh, I'm sorry, two shots now make you unvaccinated. You have to get, you have to continue to get the the periodic five or six months booster to be current. Oh. What is your thoughts on that, knowing what you have gone through? That worries me. It, well, and thankfully, my cardiologist said no boosters. You do not, and not that I would have anyways, but um, to hear him say that, you do not get any boosters. I don't care what the CDC says no boosters for you. Um, but yeah, I, I keep hearing that. And I, I really get concerned because I feel like even if the FDA has now approved Pfizer here in the States, um, it's still a test. I mean, we're still being tested. And now you're going to keep introducing more and more. And then I think about things like what happens when people now go and get the flu vaccine? or the flu shot, is that going to counteract? Like, how are these things gonna to work together? Are they gonna work against one another? I don't know, None, nobody knows. And There's, then you, yeah. get, you get that, that excuse of, well, it's still new and we don't know. Well, then maybe we shouldn't be FDA approving things that we, it's still early and we don't know. Right, and, right. And then you've got, you think about like for me, when I look up like the, the number of people that they say have been diagnosed with myopericarditis, they're saying it's rare because it's a small number of people. But those are the people that continue to advocate to get that diagnosis. Those are the people that didn't give up. There's so many else that are out there that they're still trying to get diagnosed to be part of that data. So that number is so much larger. And I under underreported. Yes, I saw um, on that the support page that I was telling you about. Somebody made the statement that have you noticed that our group number has significantly increased recently? Well, duh, it's because everybody's posting the same thing on here that I got the vaccine. This is what started to happen. This is when it started to happen. What do you think? You know, I, I don't have a diagnosis, but this is what's going on. That's why your numbers are going up because everybody's coming here trying to get information about this condition that's never had it before. And they're looking at people who've dealt with it for years. Right, right. You know, so you bring up a really good point about mandates. Um, and, you know, the, the emergency use authorization still is going on until 2023. So there's a lot of debate um, between different doctors and that's that's saying that it it it's not approved. It's only approved under a different type of shot that has been manufactured yet. The ones that are existing on the market are still under EUA. So that 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 discussion has a whole life of its own. But in terms of the mandates um, for employers mm -hmm. as sanctioned um, for by the governors of the different states, I mean, 
What are your thoughts on employers mandating a vaccine that you know is not 100% safe and that you know many people um, that you've come across um, did not get full informed consent and now they're being pushed to, to get it, otherwise you're gonna lose your job. I what are your thoughts? I think it's awful. And I don't understand how, like you think about our healthcare providers, that these people made it through the first part of this pandemic, the worst part of it without having a vaccine. And now they're being forced to either get it or lose their job. But yet you're saying that this new Delta and all these new variants are going to be so much worse, but we're willing to get rid of our nurses. That that just blows my mind to even think about that. And, you know, fortunately, where I work at, it's not been mandated. Um, but, you know, you, you keep hearing it and then it trickles down. And then when they start talking about schools, I've made it very clear that if they start mandating vaccines in schools, that's fine because I will take my children out and I will homeschool them before I put that in my child's body. It's not going to happen. But it, it's just, it's really sad to think that this is where we're at is just the society. And it's so, it's right. So Adrian, you got the choice to get mm -hmm. it or not get it. But when they put a mandate where you get it or you lose your job yeah. or you get it, you either it's get it or you or you can't participate in society. You can't uh -huh. go to a restaurant. You can't go to um, a theater, et cetera. You can't participate in society with those passports. That's not a choice. No, you're being bullied into doing this. Right. Against your will. And, and you know, you think about like my mother-in-law, she's a nurse. And she has been, she's close to retirement. She's very close, but she feels strongly that she does not want to receive the vaccine, but she's been given until a certain date that you either get the vaccine or you don't have a job. So then you're putting these people in a very uncomfortable position because they have to make it to retirement. They have given so many years of service to your hospital, and you're just going to do that to them when they've been loyal to you. And you're just going to either bully them into doing it or they'll they'll just be terminated. And sorry about your luck. Should have just got the vaccine. <laughs> yeah, you got the vaccine Look, and, and, and you know what happened. So 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 now that brings up another question about this from from your standpoint of where you come from. Um, so for a lot of people who are being mandated, um, many of them are going for medical exemptions and religious exemptions. And. So far, according to the U.S. Constitution, freedom of religion is upheld. But this is challenging our Constitution in terms of being able to practice our relig religion and our religious beliefs, whatever it is, any way we want without having to justify ourselves and um, prove ourselves, etc. So, um, and there are plenty of people who are not wanting to get this um the shot who are going for medical or religious exemptions and their submissions are being challenged um mm -hmm. by well can you explain this a little bit further well does this only apply to this vaccine and not these other vaccines does it apply to um you know since you got other vaccines what's the difference um uh -huh. it, it, is this only for 
under EUA only certain time frame that this applies and then you'll be okay with it. There's all the, you know, there's a lot of these forms that people have to fill out uh, with certain questions um, and their notarized letter of um, their statement um, for why it, why they're making the case for religious, religious or medical exemption is being challenged by these employers. Um, and that is challenging the U.S. Constitution, where you don't have to justify your religion to anybody. So, but yet these you draw the these, line. You draw a line. So, where do you draw the? You know, as somebody who has come on the other side with adverse reactions, and then you, as somebody who has a mother who's in this exact situation, um, what is your thoughts on that? I mean. Do we really believe in our constitution? Are we going to support the constitution um, in court? Or is this something that um, is kind of soft, is soft wording? What is your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it, you know, it seems like every day you, you hear something come out that you think to yourself, how is this even legal? We can't do that. You can't do that. You can't force people to do that. Um, but it doesn't seem like there's really any regard for that. It's like, well, even if it's not legal, we're going to do it and you're just going to deal with it. And if you try to speak up against it, you're going to be silenced. So people either uh -huh. just conform or they do like what I do and they disengage, you know, they just don't, they don't check the, the news. They don't look at their news feed on social media because they know you know that the overwhelming information that's out there is going to be in support of doing things that take away our our liberties and our freedom and and like it's just they're getting away with it. Yeah, I mean, you have you have governors like um, the former governor of California, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who are uh -huh. just saying, "Screw your freedoms, go get yeah. the shot." So, what do you say to governors who are basically going? screw the u.s constitution go get your shot you have no choice i mean i say it's a they're a disgrace that is not your place to make a decision for a person's body and what they put in their body and how they live their life and where they can go um i feel like we need more people in our government that speak up against this and and stand up for what's right and challenge these people and say that, no, we're gonna follow what the constitution says. We're gonna uphold that always, but we're getting so far off track. And then we're just fighting about these little things and people are getting so heated. And you just wonder like, what's the end game in this? Like, where does this end? Because- Yeah, it's a slippery it, slope. Yeah, if you do this now, then, then where does this stop? Then what will you do in the future and get away with it before we, we don't even have any freedoms anymore? Yeah, yeah. I mean, those, those are serious questions that this is bringing out in terms of vaccine passports and then restrictions on um, the, the unvaccinated. And in Israel, two shots is now unvaccinated. So you have to keep on getting them. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it brings up a lot of and then children as well like you said with your children now your children are part of you they have your dna in them will they have the question is would they have the same reaction right well so, 
you, you don't know. And then you fast forward and then every day it's like, um, I get into work and when I open up my computer, it, it automatically goes to like a, the webpage mm-hmm. and there will be articles that's like, you need to um, uninvite your unvaccinated friends and family to the holidays now. You need to cut off people who are unvaccinated. And I start, I think about that conversation and I think, huh, you might be on to something. I mean, that's really crazy that we're, we're treating people that we love, friends that we've had for years, family members, we're treating them like they're lepers because they don't want to get the vaccine at this time or maybe ever. Maybe and, ever, yeah. Yeah, and you just think like, that's a sad world that you're living in, that you would, you would cut somebody out of your life entirely because they don't want to get this. Right. Now, is that type of articles um, that is blaming the unvaccinated, which it has already been shown that the vaccinated create and also get COVID and pass it on. Yes. The say at the same exact time. So there, so I, I don't know the point of the vaccine if it's not doing its job, but um, so you can't necessarily blame the unvaccinated right. if at the same rate, the vaccinated are doing it, but yet the vaccinated are not getting these um, these restrictions where um, to they're basically free to go run around and do whatever, but they also cr- can get COVID and pass it on. So what is your thoughts? Because you're kind of in the little, you're, you're kind of in both boats where, where you got the vaccine, but then you got adverse reactions. So now you're getting kind of like, um, pushed away by the vaccinated group because they because you're like this leopard all of a sudden so now you're yeah, in the group you're kind of like in between both groups so what is your thought on that oh it's a weird place to be in because even you know my my friends that are in uh, support of the vaccine you know they know what I'm going through but they're like but it could have been worse if you didn't get the vaccine so I bet you're relieved that you got the vaccine because it could have been worse and I'm thinking how could it be worse at this point? Um, and then you've got your friends on the other end that are like, oh, I really wish you wouldn't have got that vaccine. You shouldn't have got that vaccine. And I tried to tell you, like my mom will say, I told you, I didn't want you to do it. And you did it anyways. And, um, but they, but even those who are unvaccinated um, and know that I got the vaccine and I'm having this reaction, they're very sympathetic to what I'm going through. And, and they don't like shame me to be like, you're an idiot, you deserve this. But I feel like, I, I don't know, it's not that I've had like negative, uh, you know, information on the other side, but, but you do just get this like, well, it could have been worse. So you needed to get the vaccine at all costs. You should have got that. Mm-hmm. So, this is, this is your, is this, this is your, your cross to bear kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. And that's, that really unfortunate. <laughs> is there interesting? Yeah. Um, well, you know, is, this is very informative episode. Is there a last message that you want to give to people? I would just say, um, again, if you feel strongly that you are in support of this vaccine, you want to do it for yourself, your family, then I encourage you to do that, but I also encourage you to do your research before you get that jab. And, and if you're one of those people that's going through what I'm going through, don't give up. 
and do not stop pushing back because eventually you're going to find somewhere, someone that's going to hear you and they're going to help you. But you are going to have to advocate for yourself every single day. And it's not going to be an easy journey. And there may be people that totally cut you out of their life because they don't even want to deal with what you're going through because, mm. because of the reason you're going through it. And that's just going to have to be okay too. But I would encourage them to share your story. I mean, don't be afraid to share your story because there's so many of us out there that are going through it and we're trying to find information and we can't find information, but we know there's people that are going through what we're going through. Yeah, very good. Very wise words of wisdom from um, from your experience. Well, Adrian, thank you so much for being so brave to fight through the heavy censorship and tell your story. I'm telling you, yes. people literally are craving this information because it, it. you guys are pioneers and you were the first batch of adverse reactions coming through and everybody is clueless, even the doctors. So they're all learning together and um, and, and, and it, it needs to be acknowledged. It needs to be accepted. And, um, and everybody needs to be able to openly share this information so they can help each other. Because, because as you've experienced, um, the symptoms come on in weeks and maybe months. And they just, you know, they well, continue. And, and that, that is an interesting point because I do know that the cardiologist that I've been working with he um, is using my information as part of his data for his study, and he called afterwards to get more information about when did your symptoms start, and he told me that he's had people, males, females, all ages, that symptoms uh, sometimes start three days later, sometimes two weeks later, 30 days later. He's even had people that it's 100 days later, mm. so he said that's important to keep in mind that you may go several months and feel fine and then you you don't and be on alert for if that's what it could be um, because one of the things that I forgot to mention but one of my first really side effects was uh well the the veins but also I was having memory issues I mm. was forgetting things that I would never forget and I had a, an appointment and within an hour, I totally forgot about the appointment, had no memory that I had anything on my schedule that day. And, and that was, the, that was something that popped up. And then now my husband will say, there's something wrong with me. I, I forget, I'm forgetting things. And I'm like, well, are you sure that it's not the vaccine? You don't know. And you just don't know. It could have long-term effects or effects that don't even start right away. And just be aware of that. That's very good. That's really, really insightful information, especially for the vaccinated who yeah. are going because uh, I think they open it up for under 55 or 65 um, in early spring. So it hasn't even been, you know, seven, eight months yet. So um, it's still early. And so that's really good information for people who are vaccinated to know that monitor yourself because the mm -hmm. symptoms if you do unfortunately experience adverse reactions the symptoms could start showing up many many months later and then they'll start compounding 
And so you want to get ahead of them early and get early treatment as soon as possible and not let it continue to get worse and worse before something happens. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you kindly for, again, another wonderful interview. This is a wonderful one. And of course, thank you kindly to our listeners for listening to another insightful conversation on CVAR, a COVID vaccine adverse reactions podcast. Until next time, be well and blessings. We hope you enjoyed this episode of CVAR, where vaccine injured share resources and hope without censorship. For more information about today's guest, please go to the show description. The views expressed are for information purposes, but do not replace any medical or legal advice. Please subscribe for more interviews. Blessings.